that uh, that the story of Joseph lines up with the Moana soundtrack incredibly well. Um, and, and if you have been following along uh, with the soundtrack, uh, and, and maybe you're like me, where you know you got the text notification, or you saw on social media this morning that the class tonight was shiny, like your immediate reaction is, okay, Moana soundtrack, there you are, let's listen to shiny. Um, I can tell you that this song was stuck in my head all day as we were getting ready for this class, and everyone who I surrounded myself with was very frustrated with me at the, at the singing, the constant singing of, of the song, Shining. Um, if you're, at this point in the movie, Moana has found Maui, you know, they're going along, and, uh, and Maui decides, you know what, I need my hook. Now, here's what his hook looks like. It's unbelievable how many people, when I was Googling this, how many people have made model hooks. So if you ever need a, a hook, like eBay probably, um, but, but he decides he needs his hook, right? Because his hook is what gives power to him. He, he can turn into all these animals, whether it's a hawk or a, a shark or a dog, anything he wants, he can become if he has his hook. And so they're on this journey. They're going to return the heart of Tahiti, and the whole goal is that he needs his hook. The only problem is, if, if you know the movie at all, that the hook is at the bottom of this weird like rock thing that you have to dive down, and it's like really deep and all those sorts of things. And it's obtained by this creepy looking crab guy. He, he's a crab, um, and his name is Tamatoa. Now the only way you know his name is Tamatoa is because in the song Shiny, he talks about himself in the, uh, in the third person, which is just super weird. But he was obsessed with one thing. He was obsessed with being shiny. He had covered his shells and uh, his shell, his shells. He had covered his shell and all these shiny things. He lived in a lair um, where it was covered in shiny stuff. And here he is, the big shot, obsessed with being shiny. And, and it's either a love-hate relationship with this song if you watch the movie. Some of you hate it. Some of you absolutely love it. And so, of course, to explain how much he loves shiny, he breaks it out into a song. Now, I want, us to, I want to read some lyrics from this song, which, of course, um, very applicable to tonight. He says, did your granny say listen to your heart? Oh, man, it's going to be so hard because I do love this song. Did your granny say listen to your heart, be who you are on the inside? I need three words to tear her argument apart. Your granny lied. I'd rather be shiny like a treasure from a sunken pirate wreck. He goes on and he's singing this song about, hey, look at this. You know what? Your granny said, uh, look into your heart, listen to your heart. And he's like, no, she lied. What matters is being shiny on the outside. It's all about the, the glam that you have and, and all the power that you have. Um, man, I've, I've been singing these lines all day long. All Tamatoa wants is to be shiny on the outside. He doesn't care about the heart. He says, if you care about the heart, it's all a lie. And I get nervous that sometimes we as Christians get too obsessed with this idea of being shiny. That we get obsessed with this idea of, yes, I'm going to claim the title of Christian. I'm going to grab it. I'm going to grasp it. I'm going to hold it. I'm going to, to show up at church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the things I, I need to do. I'm going to say the things I need to say. But we're too much like the creepy crab where we don't care anything about the inside. 
And we get to this passage in Genesis, and we get to kind of like the setup of what's going on. And we've been going through this story of Joseph. And we've seen Joseph get tossed in a pit, get sold as a slave, get tossed into prison. And finally, after two years at least in prison, maybe possibly longer, he's sitting there and finally Pharaoh calls his name and says, hey buddy, Joseph, I've had these dreams. Tell me about them. And Joseph says, all right, here's your interpretation. Here's your dream. Here's what's going down. Um, Oh, and by the way, I'm not just telling you the dreams. I'm also going to sit here and I'm going to say, okay, here's your dream and here's what you need to do to fix it. Here's what you can do to, to, to solve these problems, and, and here's the wisest thing that you can possibly do. And Pharaoh looks at this and says, this guy's a brain. This guy looks at this as a huge money-making opportunity, and he's right. So I want us to read in Genesis chapter 41. I hope you're turned there. We're going to be, in, in, like I said, in 41 um, throughout the majority of the night tonight. It says, in verse 37, This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and as wise as you are. That's a big statement. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command, only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And I want us to stop there because, because he keeps on going and, and tells Joseph what he's going to do. But Pharaoh essentially right here is like, okay, bro, um, you're in charge of everything. You literally, you were a slave in prison, and now you're in charge of everything. And suddenly, out of nowhere, he, Joseph is going to go from the darkest depths of prison, the darkest moments where he was raggedy and covered in, in beards, and I'm sure he only had one beard, um, but, but he has hair everywhere. And earlier in this passage, it says that after he had shaved and gotten up, he went before Pharaoh. Here he is from the dirtiest darkest depths of prison and suddenly Joseph is shining. Suddenly Joseph is royalty. And there's a really good chance, and maybe you haven't, but this story is is all over the world told. Uh, Many of you, I think I've mentioned this already, there's like a a musical um, of this story, which, by the way, I was in one musical in my entire career. It was the one about Joseph. I was Naphtali. Excellent brother. Probably the best. Um, brother, not me, not actor, um, but bias, of course. Um, but, but here it is. This, this story, a lot of us have heard this story, and as kids, we never question, but do we realize what takes place here? When we look at this story in regards to, like, the world today, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have a guy go from prison to royalty in less than 24 hours. He goes from a place where he is in the lowest of lows to being in charge of all of Egypt. And to me, something doesn't add up. Something doesn't make sense. There are a few reasons, I think, why Pharaoh could have been quick to add Joseph to the throne. Here's a few things. The reason why Joseph was allowed to be shiny. All right, here it is. At the time, the Egyptians, now keep in mind, this is just some background information, the Egyptians were very concerned 
with whether or not people were spiritually minded. So during this time, if somebody had a spiritual mindset to them, the Egyptian or seemed like they had a spirit of any god to the Egyptians, the Egyptians were like, oh, that's a big, that, that person's something. If they have the spirit inside of them, if they have a god inside of them, if you remember the Egyptians thought pharaohs were gods. And so in this moment, they're sitting here looking at Joseph and they're like, he just interpreted a dream and gave us a really wise statement. And so at this point, the Egyptians are probably looking at him and thinking, okay, this guy has some otherworldly um, uh, deity to him that is, that is uh, just crazy to us. And that's probably a major reason why Joseph was brought to power so quickly. I read it pretty much with emphasis. But in verse 38, it says, And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this? Like what? In whom is the spirit of God? Pharaoh looked at Joseph and was like, yeah, spirit of God is in this guy. There's something special about this guy. And it was so strong from Joseph that even an unbeliever of God could see that there was something special in the spirit that Joseph had living in him. That's a really valid point that I think is probably the accurate one. Another thing is, Joseph actually took 13 years to go from the pit to like this hierarchy in Egypt. It wasn't really a short journey. It wasn't overnight success. You gotta think that, that he had probably been vetted by all these people before he ever went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his guys, hey, tell me about this Joseph guy. Well, he was a great Potiphar's house, and then something went down, and, and he got tossed in prison. And what was he like in prison? Well, he was so great in prison, the guard loved him and kind of made him in charge of the other prisoners. Okay, oh, and he interpreted dreams while he was in, in prison. So at this moment, Pharaoh probably knew that Joseph was a little bit more than just a normal guy. But either way, either one of those reasons, Joseph is now shining. He's on top of the world. He is the one that when people look at him, he's the, in the song from Moana, it's that he says, um, Tamatoa is like, I haven't always been this glam. I was a drab little crab once. Like, Joseph's living in the glam, right? He, he has all this glamorous things about him at this moment. Verse 41 says, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh, this is crazy, Pharaoh took a signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Can you imagine going from the chains of prison to gold chains of power in 24 hours and made him ride in his second chariot, that's verse 42, and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set over him all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephith, sorry, Zephineth, Hannah, and he gave him a marriage, um, and Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Sorry, I wasn't going to read the names there. Um, Joseph is sitting on top of the world. Can you imagine getting more than what Joseph had in this moment? Getting more than, than, than anything. In the most powerful kingdom in the world at the time, Joseph is now in command. 
He has the signet ring, and the only one ahead of him is the Pharaoh, who looks at himself as a, as a god and, and who is, is, thinks he's the greatest thing that's ever existed. Joseph is now 30 because of, like, we look at the timeline and how things works out. He isn't the punk kid that he once was. And good old Joseph is about to go through all the land of Egypt and start meeting his people, who he now was a ruler over. He was going to start collecting the food and start storing up the barns exactly like he suggested to Pharaoh when he was telling him about his dreams. And when I read this story, it makes me ask myself a question that I'm asking myself almost every day is, are we shiny like Tamatoa, which is an awesome name. Like, I would actually name my son Tamatoa. Anyways, no, not, not, no, that would be bad. Um, that would be weird. But are we people who only have shine on the outside? Are we people that, that, and we discussed this a little bit as we were starting before we got into this story, but are we people who only are shining on the outside? Because I think about Joseph in this moment, and Joseph is going through, he's on the Pharaoh's second chariot, he's a big deal. When he would rock, walk into town or ride into towns, um, people would have to bow down to him. Can you imagine as Joseph is, is riding into town, waving, I'm imagining like a scene of joy and like, you know, in Aladdin when, when he's like walking into the city, which is like the best scene in all of Aladdin, and he's like tossing money everywhere because he has all the money. I'm sorry, I just spit in that direction. Um, but, but he has all the money in the world. And I'm imagining Joseph is, is riding in here. And can you imagine how the crowds probably reacted to Joseph? I'm going to say that, that based on who we know Joseph is, based on who he was in Potiphar's house and who he was in prison, and now who he was in Pharaoh's court when he went into Pharaoh's court, that people didn't look at Joseph and say, that guy is so fake. That guy is here just to, to put on a show. You'll see political leaders go to certain events just to make an appearance, to, to be like, oh, I was there. I was at a playoff hockey game in 2011 versus the Vancouver Canucks game six. And the mayor was there, mayor of Nashville. He's only there for one period. Talk about making me angry. I, I was pretty upset. He sat like two rows in front of me. Um, but he was there to make an appearance, right? And so people probably didn't look at Joseph and say, okay, he's just here to make an appearance. They looked at him and said, that guy is something special. And the question I want us to ask ourselves right now is, do we get caught up in letting the shine of the Spirit of God be a facade and nothing more. Be something that, that, that is just a face, a, a false identity of what is actually on the inside. Um, I don't love doing this because I know like all of you are not nerds like myself. Um, <laughs> but your visitor world's an awesome place, okay? Uh, if you've ever been, you might hate it because you might be like, that place is trash. They don't have any like huge roller coasters. And like, I get it. They don't have like the biggest, most powerful roller coasters in the world. But that's no matter. You can go to King's Island tomorrow. Anyways, um, <laughs> but the thing about Disney World is it is an engineering marvel. It is one of the largest self-sustaining resort. It is the largest self-sustaining resort in the world. The parks are built in this, this immaculate way. Magic Kingdom, um, this park, is actually on a second story, and I'm sure many of you have heard this. But there are, there are tunnels that run underneath the park so people who are working there can get 
from place to place. It's an engineering marvel. It's the size, the, the resort is the size of the entirety of San Francisco. It is huge. It's amazing. And maybe some of you have been on this attraction, the Haunted Mansion. Now, the Haunted Mansion is one of my personal favorites. Um, I recently read a book on the Haunted Mansion. Very interesting story. Um, a lot of crazy things that went down. Um, it's a bunch of happy haunts where nine, 999 ghosts have retired, right? So, so the Haunted Mansion is this mansion right here. Um, and it was built simultaneously with the one at Disneyland. So if you're from California, um, how many of you are? There are a few if you're from California who might have gone to Disneyland. Same time, same style of, of thing. And the idea is, is you walk into this haunted house and you get on your doom buggy and you ride through and you have a host, a ghost host, um, and, uh, and that ghost host will guide you through the mansion in your ears, you can't see him because he's a ghost, and tell you and give you a tour of the mansion. Here's the thing though, is you see this mansion right here? That's when you think, when you think about the haunted mansion at Disney World, that's what it looks like. But the thing is, is that that is just a facade. See, when I was a kid, I would be like, how do they fit the entirety of the Haunted Mansion in that house? Well, the fact is, they didn't. Here's a picture from construction. This is, this is the Haunted Mansion building, and that's where it takes place. I'm sure many of you assumed that this was, and you were more intelligent than I was. Um, but this is, this is how, where the Haunted Mansion takes place. It's the show building. It's, it's this massive warehouse behind the mansion. The ghosts that are in the Haunted Mansion don't live in that silly facade. They live back in the back. And also no ghosts live there. Um, my brother did cry, and it's not even scary. Uh, but my brother did ball his face off um, when he wrote it. Uh, but anyways, I might have told people that before. Um, but here's the thing. Without the interior depths of this warehouse, Without all of that that's behind it, the Haunted Mansion would be nothing. It, it, would, it would be no attraction. The, the, the only thing that would be there is maybe a walking tour that's like a three-room walking tour if this is it. It would be like a three-room walking tour that you go through casually and like it would be boring and probably wouldn't still be there today. It's opened in 1971. That's 2019. It probably wouldn't be in existence today if it was just in this mansion right here. People wouldn't care that there was a cool looking building sitting there in the middle of Disney World. What they care about is what's taking place on the inside, the, the base of that attraction, the base of what makes the Haunted Mansion great is what happens in the back of this building, deep, deep on the inside of the park. And just like with the Haunted Mansion, our, if our Christian life is a facade, people aren't gonna care. They're gonna see straight through us and they're not gonna want to be a part of us. They're gonna look at us and say, your Christianity is fake and you're a hypocrite. It matters who we are on the inside. It matters who we are in our hearts. We want to have an inside where people look at us and say, can we find a person like this in whom is the Spirit of God? The same words that Pharaoh spoke about Joseph. The question I want to ask us tonight is, how can we develop an inside that's holy? 
how can we develop it if we want to use the, the, the phrase that we've been using tonight, how do we develop an inside that's shiny and not just an outside? I think that there are a couple of ways. Um, and, and I actually think there are a lot more ways that we could break down if we had time. Um, but clock time is going a lot faster than I thought. Uh, one thing I think is if we set our hearts on things above. Colossians 3.2. A lot of you have heard this verse. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Timotoa the crab, what did he say? Set your mind uh, on, on, he better set his mind on being shiny. That's all I cared about was the outside. Don't look at the inside. When we set our hearts on something, we have a much better chance of fully becoming that. If I were to set my heart on becoming a great guitar player, man, maybe I could be a great guitar player. If, if Eli Cato were to set his heart on being a great basketball player, he'd be in the NBA. Like, it's, a, it's, an, easy it's, a, it's an easy conversation. Um, another thing I think, and, and like I said, if we have more time, we can go through a lot more reasons. But do you guys remember when Joseph was unsuccessful in showing the Spirit of God? When he was an arrogant little jerk at age 17. When he was an arrogant little punk and he was trying to show the word of God, and people were like, no, Joseph, we don't care about you or what you say. You're a jerk. No one listened to him. Notice when he became humble, when, when he turned into, into a servant, when all he wanted to do was serve people and not talk about himself, his humility showed the spirit of God. If we can find humility in ourselves and put ourselves lower than everyone around us, we will show people the Spirit of God from the inside. The story keeps on going in Genesis 42. It says, When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? I want us to stop there for just a minute. Jacob looks at his sons and says, Why do you look at one another? This is a really cool point. You remember Jacob's sons at this point were the sons who took Joseph, tossed him in a pit, and they were like, Forget it. Let's sell him into slavery. The Israelites who were on their way to Egypt. And so when Jacob hears that there's grain for sale in Egypt, the brothers are probably standing there and look at each other like, Egypt. Remember Joseph? He could be there. Joseph could be alive. That's a thing. And Jacob's like, uh, guys, why do you just stand there and look at one another? Let's, let's, do, let's do something about this. He keeps on going and, and he says, hey, go buy grain for us. Uh, go do all that fun stuff. Um, verse 7 and 8, or verse 6 says Joseph was a governor of all the land. Verse 7 says Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to him and said, where do you come from? He said, oh, where do you come from? He said, they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Something that's always stood out to me here is why did Joseph do this? Why would Joseph sit here and, and like treat his brothers like, like, who are you? Why are you here? We'll go up, like if you were to keep on reading, he'd be like, no, you're spies. You're, you're not here for grain. You're here to spy on the land of Egypt. Scholars believe a lot of different things. One of the most persuasive things that scholars believe is that this is a family of deceivers. Their father deceived their parents. Their, uh, and if you remember, his father-in-law deceived him. Then you get down to his sons, and they deceived their father. 
And here's Joseph returning this deception to his brothers in this moment. Joseph was a deceiver in, his case, in this case, and he didn't allow his brothers to see him as Joseph, which is a really interesting thing. What happens next is a start of events that changed history. Joseph is going to go on, and just a brief thing, because we're running out of time, and next week we're going to pick up on this. Joseph looks at his brothers and is like, oh, by the way, you say you have a younger brother. Bring him back here. He's a super big jerk to him. They're like, our father won't like that. He's like, I don't care. Bring him back. And like takes a brother, Simon, and like binds him in front of them, which is like the macho thing to do to scare everyone, of course. He's like super gruff about it. And then he fills all their sacks with the grain and then puts money in it and then sends them back and gives them provisions for their way back. And they get back home, and in verse 29, they say, the brothers say to their father, when they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man of the Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. Joseph was full of the Spirit. We gathered this. But when this, if, even if we have an inside that's full of the Spirit, and we, on the outside we are not full of the Spirit, people will not recognize their spirituality. I think... I wrote it a lot better up there. So every, even if we have an inside that is full of the Spirit, our facade must be beautiful. Can you imagine if the Haunted Mansion was just the warehouse? Nobody would care. It wouldn't have the same effect. It wouldn't feel haunted. It would feel like just a warehouse that has some stuff in it. It takes both to be powerful. I want us to end with the story tonight. Um... It's an old preacher story. Maybe you've heard it before. A guy, last time I heard it, a guy named Wayne Miller told it. Um, super nice guy, super friendly guy. He goes, a kid and his parents were driving home from church. That was a kid on Google. Um, a kid and his parents are, are driving home from church one night, and everyone's just kind of casually sitting there. And the kid just suddenly pipes up, and he's like, Mom. Dad, actually, young kid. Mommy, Daddy, how big is God? They're like, oh, let me tell you, God is massive. The kid's like, no, 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 no. You misunderstood my question. Question. How big is God? And they were like, he's huge. The kid's like, yeah, what about the universe? Bigger than the universe. He's massive. The kid sat there for a minute and, and pondered the question in his head and, and kind of was thinking through it. And he says, well, something doesn't make sense. Because I've always been told that God is really big. But, but tonight in Bible class, we studied that God lives inside of us. And if God was living inside of us, but he was that big, wouldn't he be bursting out of us at every chance he got? That's a little story. But man, does it pack a punch. If we have the Spirit of God living inside of us like Joseph had the Spirit of God living inside of him, there's going to be no possible way for him to not be bursting out of us. He is going to be shining through everything we say, everything we do, through our humility, through our actions. Are we shining for our Savior? Is he shining out of us? Let's get in a circle. 
Um, and, and, and say a prayer.